0: as always. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Colossians chapter 1, and we will read verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. May God bless the reading of his word so today we're we're continuing on in Colossians. Um, and sometimes, if you've ever read Paul, he likes to do run-on sentences that makes grammaticians today cringe. <laughs> um, and so if you notice, basically verses three through seven are just one long sentence. <laughs> when he is just thanking God for these Colossian believers um, and for what God is doing in their presence. And and I think the reason why is because he gets so excited. Um, That's how I understand it anyway. So um, how about we go ahead and continue on to see, okay, what it is he's thankful for. So verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So the letter continues after the introduction with thankfulness. We should notice that Paul says we, uh, reminding us that Paul is not only writing by himself, but likely involves at least Timothy, if not others who are with him. As it is, Paul and others with him thank God, specifying that they thank the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this way, Paul focuses on the Father, but by saying it this way shows the proximity of Christ to the Godhead something which is a major theme throughout the book of Colossians. This is all done while they're in prayer. We can imagine a time when we are speaking to God in our prayers on behalf of others and simply being thankful for that person. So it is with Paul. When he prays on their behalf, he can't help but thank God for them when he does pray for them. Now verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, and then part of five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. At this point, we may be wondering why Paul and the others um, have such esteem for the believers at Colossae. Many of us remember the letter to the Galatians, and here or there, he never addressed them in this manner. He never thanked God for them, the way that he does for the believers in Colossians. Um, so what causes him to address those in Colossae so kindly rather than, let's say, Galatians? Well, first is what Paul and the others have heard concerning their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, faith itself is essential to Christianity, as it is through faith in Christ that we attain salvation. By having faith in Christ, it indicates that they belong to the family of God through him. This, logically, would give any Christian great joy and thanks. But it is not only in their faith, but also it is reported that they have love for all the saints. As we remember from Jesus' teachings in John, as well as the teachings of First John, and the great chapter dedication of love in 1 Corinthians 13, love for one another is one of the main evidences that one actually does have faith. The final purpose of thankfulness comes in the hope laid up for you in heaven, as Paul says. This represents the hope which comes from the Christian faith concerning the future. Um, They have a hope of that which is to come. Yet we should not assume that this hope is to be understood in the sense of a child hoping for a gift at Christmas and having no idea whether or not that's going to happen. Instead, the hope is a recognized hope of knowing that the event will take place. It is more akin to a child who is told that their father will be home soon. It is an expected hope, soon realized, rather than a hope of possibility. So it is their hope laid up for you in heaven recognizes such a future that they will inherit something in heaven. Now the second half of verse 5, "...of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel." The hope which they have heard originates from the gospel. The gospel itself is the word of truth. The good news of Jesus Christ taking away their sin. That through him they have salvation because their sin is no longer counted against them. As such, the logical conclusion of such a message as this is the hope that they will experience. The fact that it is a true word or a true gospel or simply the truth recognizes that it can be accepted and trusted. This may go against some of the teachings which were being presented to the believers at Colossae and likely should remind us to guard ourselves against teachings which would be false in our own time. Now verse 6. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The good news which they have heard has clearly come to the believers. And because of this, it is something worthy of celebration and worthy of being thankful for. Yet Paul also wants to establish that they are not the only ones who have experienced the gospel, who have had the gospel proclaimed to them. Instead, he focuses on the whole world in which it has been proclaimed. And that right there, the whole world, um, is not the whole, literally the whole world, but the known world at the time especially. Yet what is so fantastic about the gospel being proclaimed in the whole world? What's so um, fascinating about it? The answer is that it is bearing fruit and increasing. What does it mean to bear fruit and increase? The answer would be understood as a reflection of what Paul has already discussed about the believers at Colossae. To bear fruit recognizes the change to lifestyle. They were keeping with faith, loving fellow believers, uh, brothers and sisters of the faith, and keeping hope before them. All things which the gospel brings and has grown within not only the believers at Colossae, but also other places as well. As Paul says elsewhere in Romans, faith comes by hearing. So it is with those at Colossae who heard the gospel. Since that time, they have grown in it, or it has actually grown in them. They have been transformed by it. Thus, the thanks that Paul gives at the beginning on their behalf is rooted not necessarily in them, but in the gospel, in the grace of God and truth. It is here that the foundation is laid for their lives. Now, verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul continues by bringing forth Epaphras. Uh, it is believed that Epaphras was one of Paul's converts during his missionary journeys, probably the one um, to Ephesus, uh, but we're not really sure exactly. But once a convert, he apparently spread the message of the gospel to his home city of Colossae. Paul recognized him as a beloved fellow servant and or slave, as the text would say also. He also calls Epaphras... A faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Some of your translation might say our behalf, um, but there's a textual variance there, and it's a small one. But ultimately, I think it does go with your behalf. This understanding recognizes that Epaphras has been spreading the truth of the gospel rather than falsehoods. In doing this, he is a steward of the truth, being faithful to Christ to these congregations who were planted by him. Ultimately, Epaphras is the one who has informed Paul and others with him of the great things the gospel is doing in Colossae through these believers. He has reliably informed Paul that the gospel has not only taken root, but has continued to cause growth among the people, as is evidenced by their love in the Spirit. Such love, which originates from the Spirit of God, gives further proof that the gospel has truly taken root within this community. All right, the main point. And the main point of these verses are to give thanks to God for what has occurred in Colossae. Paul has been informed by the man who first brought the gospel to the city of the genuine growth within. As such, Paul cannot help but give thanks to God for what has been accomplished through the gospel of truth. All right, so what are some application points we can get from this? The first is the power of the gospel. In our time, in our place, we tend to look for things that are powerful. If you look at the majority of books released in Christian bookstores, or if you listen to many of the preachers on TV, you will notice this trend of power. They say that if you pray a certain way, you will have power. If you follow after this, you will have power. If you do this, you will have power. If you can send them $10 a month, you will have power. If you give them $100, (laughs) they'll give you 10 times as much power. You notice there's a lot of focus on you doing something in order for this power to be seen. It reminds me of something that R.C. Sproul once said that I'm sure I've mentioned before, but it's just so good I have to mention it again. Um, It was during a questions and answers panel segment, and I think the question was, uh, what would you warn the church about today? And then so he goes back and he talks about Martin Luther, and he told a story about how one of the last sermons, or maybe it was even the last sermon that Luther preached was a warning about not seeking Joseph's pants. In other words, relics. Now today, we do not often have the issue of relics. But back then, the relics were the items to have. It's like the Holy Grail. Um, Nails from the cross of Christ. The skull of John the Baptist. Teeth from all the disciples. Milk from the Virgin Mary's breast, etc. They actually had these supposedly things all over and people would go to them. Um, and they thought that they had power. Now, some of us would wonder, why would these things matter? Well, the answer is, again, the people then had the belief that they had power. And Martin Luther, however, he knew better. He warned the people not to chase after such relics, and instead to chase after Jesus. Sprawl Dr. Sprawl upon relating much of this then told the audience that this is his warning except it isn't relics it's programs we believe that a particular program will have the power that if we find the program it will work and our churches will grow and the spirit will move and we will be blessed so Sprawl said don't fall prey to this instead follow the scriptures the gospel for that is where true Power dwells. Now, admittedly, that was all a paraphrase of what Dr. Sproul said. But it still hits the point that I think Paul is hitting in today's text. We cannot get sidetracked by the possibility of some program or some idea or concept that will bring transformation to our congregations. But we should be focused on binding ourselves more to the scriptures and especially to the gospel. For that is the only program that we really need. If we consider today's text, we notice that Paul gives thanks to God concerning these believers. But ultimately, he does not dwell on the believers themselves for long. Instead, he recognizes that their very ability to have faith, to love others, to have hope, rests not on them, but on the transforming power of the gospel. It is the gospel which has taken root, and it is the gospel which has caused growth within them. We desire to know power, and we are willing to do just about anything to get power. But I am telling you today that the greatest power in the cosmos is not going to be found in some secret hidden relic or program. Instead, the greatest power in all the cosmos is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transforms those who hear it from being enemies of God, dead in their sin, to children of God, alive in Christ. It is this gospel within us that causes us to grow, because it is the truth of God and his very word within us. Sometimes I think we can get tired of it. Sometimes I think we can hear the story so often that we forget just what it has done for us. We can forget what it means to hear the gospel and to have it bear fruit and cause growth within us. us. We can forget about the supernatural work of the gospel in our lives. Consider it again, before the gospel, sin reigned in your life. Before the gospel, you loved sin. You dwelled in the mire of sin. It was your home. Sure, you had your good moments, but the truth is, even your good moments were marred because you never glorified the God through whom all good comes. Even the good we do for, without God, no good would exist. Then the gospel comes. Transformation occurs. Whereas once you were at war with righteousness, morality, virtue, goodness. Now you are at peace with them. Now these are the things that you can seek. That you can find. You can grow into and actually do. It casts off the death of sin. Which you possess. And places you in the life of Christ. It is because of what Christ has done which allows you to do this. It is the gospel transforming your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, which enables you to become a warrior against darkness itself. Do you think such a transformation is a small thing? (laughs) Consider it even further. Consider what the scriptures say, that you were dead in your sin. Consider that. Dead in sin. You were once so wrapped up in sin... That death already claimed you. While you still breathed. Yet through the gospel. You come to life. Not only life. But eternal life. Don't let the gospel be less than it is. It is the transforming work of God in us. It is by this gospel. That the transformation begins. And it will be by this gospel. That the transformation is completed. Just as Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. So it is through him. And just at the end in Revelation, he says, It is accomplished. So it will be accomplished in full by his great grace, his love, and his mercy. When I think about all this, I actually think about myself in in, in a certain way. You know, I had for a long time been one of those individuals who thought about my conversion experience, and for a long time I wasn't impressed. (laughs) I mean, you hear these amazing stories about those who are addicted to drugs, or those who are transformed, or those who survive something unexpected, or those who go through these great experiences, um, and from that, God saves them, so to speak. It's kind of Damascus-like experiences. So when I heard these, I thought, well, that isn't my story at all. I grew up in the church. I could barely tell you exactly the moment of my salvation because I was saturated by it from the time of my birth. I was like a Jonathan Edwards. (laughs) And Edwards, he struggled with that for all of his life too. So I would think of my story as, well, God saved me. But if only I had considered it even more. If only I had realized that as wonderful and spectacular and miraculous as these other stories of transformation are. The simple truth is every one of us has the greatest of stories because if we are in Christ, we were all once dead in our sin and now brought to life. That is your story if you are in Christ. It is no small thing. Not only is this spectacular and wonderful, it is supernatural. It is the work of God in you. You dare think anything like that is small? That the work of God is small? It's not small. It's not small at all. I almost sounded like Dr. Seuss. So as brothers and sisters of the faith, I encourage you to consider the greatness of the gospel which God has provided for you to consider what it means for the gospel to cause you to be able to bear fruit and what it means for it to be increasing in you for it is increasing in you day by day. If you are in Christ and it is doing it through its very own unfathomable power within us. And that is a great thing. Alrighty. The second point is faith, hope and love. I don't know if you notice, but within today's text, we see what can be called the triad of the Christian faith. In particular, we saw how there was faith, hope, and love. These three terms are used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when describing what remains, what the foundation of the Christian life is. And in that chapter, he considers love to be the greatest of the three. Yet we want to consider what it means for faith, hope, and love to be so pivotal to Christianity. Why are these threes so frequently seen throughout not only Paul's letter, but all of the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament? What causes these three to be our foundation, so to speak? Well, let's look at each one. Faith. As Paul says in this letter, is specified to a particular person, and that is Jesus Christ. Those who are believers have faith in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, in Romans, it recognizes that faith is the key to salvation. It is through faith in Christ that we are considered righteous before God. It is not what we have done, but what the new man has done, Jesus Christ. Thus, faith is a pillar for our religion because it is by faith we're saved. It is because of what Christ has done and believing in what he has done that we find our salvation. This is a wonderful thing to consider, for it reminds us of what Christ proclaimed that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It is true, for in Christ we do not work out our salvation. It is given to us by faith in Christ as a gift. That salvation places us with Christ, who is God. And in this way, when we are in God, we are spared from judgment because all of our sins have been taken away by his blood. And that's something, if you remember, at the end of Joel that we talked about, being in God rather than against him. Now, the second pillar in today's text is love. Paul commends them on their love for those who are in the faith, for the saints. This reminds us... Of the gospel of John, when Jesus tells his disciples that if you love me, you will follow my commandment. And my commandment is, love one another. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 13, the epic chapter on love. The focus is actually not on outsiders, but instead on the assembly. The love described as a spiritual gift. One which all believers have received and should continue to seek to live by day by day. In 1 John, love is the evidence that one truly believes in the gospel of Jesus. By loving one another, it becomes the evidence that one is truly saved. Thus, love is the assurance of faith. By loving God with all of who we are and loving each other, then we can be sure that we are in Christ. Finally, Paul focuses on hope today. And hope is interesting. Interesting. We hope for a lot of things. When we were kids, we hope for you know gifts. When we got older, older we hope to receive a check in the mail for a million dollars. I kid you not. Every time I go to the mailbox, <laughs> I'm like, maybe, maybe today, It'll, someone will just be like, here you go. I don't know why. <laughs> but there is another kind of hope that was hinted at as earlier. A hope in which it is not for something which may come but something which is going to happen. I used the example earlier of a child who is eagerly hoping for their parents to get home. It isn't so much a hope of possibility, but an expectation that they will be there. They know they're going to be there. So it is a hope which we have in Christ. It is not a hope which we are unsure of. Instead, it is an expectation of what will occur. We can have such an expectation because we know God. And in knowing God, it allows us to trust in him to do as he promised. This should cause us to see that there would be repercussions to such a hope. If we are eagerly hoping for the day of Christ's return, we are going to act like it. If we are having an expectation of the hope which is before us in heaven, we will live that way. If faith urges us, to have a loving lifestyle, hope is what keeps us going during hard and difficult times. It reminds us that it's not in vain. So be excited about these things. Be comforted with your faith. Seek love. Never lose sight of the hope which we have in Christ Jesus. In all of these things, we know that God is for us. Because he has saved us through his son, and he transformed our lives into lives of love for each other and for him. Giving us the hope we have of a glorious future in his eternal kingdom. All right, this leads us to another point. The Im- Actually, this has changed now. I originally said the importance of hearing and knowledge, but it's supposed to be, I believe, the grace in hearing and knowing. <laughs> One short point that I think we should look at today is how important it is for the people to have heard the gospel as well as understood the gospel. Something which is significant is the fact that the gospel is something which is proclaimed. Paul uses this same terminology in Romans when he describes how blessed are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. This first point of hearing reminds us of the importance of communication, as well as the blessing we receive for being able to partake in communicating the gospel to others. Communication should not surprise us. It is the way which we relate to each other, um, and it is the way in which we gain knowledge from each other. Through communication, we can gain understanding and wisdom. Thus, God uses communication as a way for us to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And when we proclaim and others hear, then there's the possibility of salvation on the person who does, in fact, hear. Likewise, I think it is fascinating that we get to partake in this. God could easily have made salvation to be very different. One in which we would have no ability to partake. It's just all him. Yet he didn't. Instead, he lifts us up to be vessels of his honor and his glory by being able to proclaim the gospel of Christ to others. This is something truly truly marvelous in my mind to consider, as it reminds us that God uses us for his glory. The final point from this, however, is that it is not enough to hear the gospel. And this is something which is true for us today, something rather important. Sometimes we believe that once someone has heard the gospel, then they're good to go with God, so to speak. But that isn't true according to the scriptures. It isn't enough to hear the gospel. One must also understand it as Paul says above. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. There's a lot to unpack in that. There's the reality that we've heard and likewise that they've understood. There's also the reality that they are dependent upon the grace of God. Likewise, they have understood the truth. Now, in a world which doubts truth, a world which would cause us to even doubt knowledge, to be able to not only hear the truth, but to understand it and to know it is significant, I think. To know and to understand are elements of knowledge. Therefore, it is a reminder to us that the gospel will affect not only one's heart, but also one's mind. That by God's grace, we are saved through his communication of the gospel and the transformation which occurs in us by God's grace to understand the gospel itself. And that is the reality of it. We are all dependent upon the grace of God. It is his grace which first brought the gospel. It is his grace which allows us to partake, to proclaim, and to hear the gospel And it is his grace which causes us to understand the truth of the gospel more and more in our lives. So be encouraged to dwell in his grace, knowing that it will lead you further into his glory as you seek him out day by day. Now in all of that, it reminds us of the gospel of Jesus. Um, And again, it's so easy to see in Paul the gospel. (laughs) He was quite articulate, and not only looking at the gospel um, as a whole picture, but then focusing on certain points of the gospel, and you get up close, it's like a painting, Um, have you guys ever seen a really great painting by a great artist, just even in a book, and like you look at it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's wonderful, but then you zoom in on the masterful strokes, and you see just how wonderful each little detailed expression is, that's the gospel. It's the same way. When you take a step back, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and then you take a step in and you look real close and you're like, wow, it's all wonderfully connected in glory and wonder, and it's spectacular. Um, And so the gospel begins with our origins. It begins with that we and the universe were created by the word of God. Uh, We in particular were created in the image of God, and because of that, we have this imprint of the divine on us. But it's also a recognition that because we have this, this image of God, we also have other attributes as well. Um, we have the ability to reason. We have the ability for knowledge. We have the ability um, to love, to know morality, to communicate. That's a huge thing. Um, and also to build things like culture and have ideas and dreams and also to be able to contribute to art and society. Um, and it's because of God that this is even capable within us. But it also leads us to the reality that all humans have dignity, sanctity, and worth to their lives. And in a time like today, (laughs) a time like today, especially in the United States, I'm going to be political. I'm going to do it. We need to hear people have dignity, sanctity, and worth all people, we have to remind ourselves that every person has the imprint of the divine on them. And that does not justify anyone doing evil things. It simply reminds us that each person has that. Um, and so that's as far as I'm going to go with that <laughs> at this point, because I think you should be able to see the repercussions of that. Hatred does not lead anywhere, regardless of who begins it. And we have to condemn all hatred, from left, right, middle, whatever. Um, Because in the end, we have to be the prophetic voice in this society. We have to be the ones to stand up and say, that's wrong, (laughs) regardless of where it comes from. Um, And if we don't stand up and say that, and if we start to ignore our own origins, then you know what, the society is going to fall apart, like it's doing. Um, And so I think that's why it's so important for us to hear this origins thing again and again and again, because in our society, it's not being taught, (laughs) and we have to be the ones to teach it. But because we are created in the image of God, we also know that there was a fall. Um, Being created in the image of God means that we all have personal freedoms, we have personal will, we have choice, so to speak, and because, well, a certain amount of choice, and because of that, Humanity chose to sin against God. We chose darkness. We chose um, sin. And because of that, we have guilt. We have broken relationships between God, ourselves, each other, and the world around us. And unfortunately, this guilt requires something, and that's what we would call a punishment. And so, how can we be saved from this punishment? If you notice, I added something in today's PowerPoint, an underline And I did that for a reason, and I'll explain in a second. Um, The way that this happens, the way that we can have this guilt removed so that we are not punished is by one thing, and that is by Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again in time, space, history, and flesh so that those who believe in him would have the guilt purged from them. So that those who believe in him would be considered children of God. And the reason why I underlined redemption today is because Paul talked about it today. He talked about this specific area today in the text. And it had to do with the fact that in Jesus Christ, faith in Christ is the gospel. It's the crux of the gospel. Um, And so it's through Christ... That redemption comes. It is through faith in him that redemption comes. And you know what? It also leads, this redemption doesn't just lead to salvation against judgment. It also leads to redemption for all of our bodies. And that's what we see also in the text. Because guess what? The Colossians are commended for what? Loving the saints and for their continued hope. That's a redemption of our lives completely. That we're able to love each other And also able to have hope for the future. Um, And so the redemption of Christ is a complete and total redemption over all things in our lives. And that's something we cannot forget. Um, And that redemption will lead us to repentance as a lifestyle. Um, And so because of that, though, it leads to the future. And that's something also we talked about. The hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, there's a problem, though. There are those who do not look at the redemption and who reject the redemption of God. And for those who do reject the redemption of God, there is no hope for them because they're still in their sins. And if you remain in your sin before God, God will only judge you for your sins. It's the reality that we see. However, there's always hope in redemption. And for those who have turned to God in redemption, who have turned to faith in Christ... They have hope in the future. They have a hope, an expected hope of their treasure in heaven. And that is a glorious and wonderful thing because it means a treasure which is eternal. It's a treasure that Paul says could not be taken by robbers or malls. Actually, it's Jesus who said that. And so we have this glorification. It means that you and I will be able to inherit an eternal kingdom where we will never die again. And where we will experience the love of God completely, and I am looking forward to that. And so, with all this, we consider the gospel of Christ and what Paul said today. And it's something that is there, it is something that is with us, and it is something that we aim for day in and day out all of our lives. And so the final encouragement, as always, from Paul is to seek out the gospel because it's powerful and it will transform our lives for the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father... We thank you for your glory. We thank you for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us wisdom, understanding, that you have not only saved us from judgment, but that you have saved us from ourselves even now, and that you have transformed our lives to be able to glorify you today. And that is a wonderful thing, Lord. And so we ask for your continued blessing on us. We ask that you would continue to show us more of your gospel, that we would continue to understand the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would seek you out day in and day out by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for taking us this far, and we thank you even more because we know that you will continue to take us even further. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.